Hey, it's Sunny here. We do talk about suicide in this episode, which I know can be distressing. So if you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org or if you need 24-hour free counselling in Australia, the number for Lifeline is 131114. Please look after yourself. Today's episode is a very special one. I've been running the podcast for nearly four years now and I sometimes pinch myself with the guests that we get on Bottled Up. And this week is no exception. Only 1% of those who attempt suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge survive. And Kevin Hines is one of those people. Fueled by a history of struggle with depression and bipolar disorder, Kevin thought the bridge would be the easiest way to die. Yet the first thing he felt after clearing the railing was regret and the realization that he had made the biggest mistake of his life. He fell 240 feet, 25 stories at 120 kilometers an hour in four seconds, crushing spinal vertebrae and breaking an ankle but he survived. Less than 40 people have survived the Golden Gate Bridge jump and an even smaller handful have the ability to stand, walk and run. Buckle up as Kevin shares his story, the life before that nearly fatal moment, the planning and thinking involved and where life has taken him since. Here's Kevin Hines. I I'm personally excited about this for a number of reasons, Kev. You know, I think your story exemplifies one of someone who's truly survived and seen, you know, many different angles of life. You know, I think something that really speaks to your, yeah. your level of kindness and empathy to others, but also yourself, was one of the videos where you were talking about recite, repeat, believe. And I want to ask you, what role has that... Like, so first of all, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And then the second is, what role has those three words played in your own life? Well, you know, it, it means a great deal to me, first of all. And I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm the first one that came up with that. I probably am not. But I, I don't recall hearing it before I started saying it as I said it. Recite, repeat, believe. What we recite about ourselves, what we repeat about ourselves is inherently what we will believe about ourselves. Think of what every major faith is built upon. Reciting a prayer or chant, repeating a prayer or chant, believing said prayer or chant. It becomes scientific. The brain is cyclical. If we recite and repeat negative, hateful, horrible, mean, awful things to ourselves, that is what we will believe. Congruently, if we recite and repeat hopeful, meaningful, kind, giving, generous, compassionate things to ourselves, if we give ourselves grace, what will we believe? And so I think it's, it's not, I, I, I fully recognize it's not that simple to solve your brain pain. But when you change your brain, you change your life. And when you change the way you talk to yourself, you change your life. And you have to remember that your self-hate, your self-loathing did not come from you. You weren't born a self-loathing individual. You weren't born a self-hating individual. You were taught that. It was learned. You heard things about you by neglectful and abusive people in your life. You backbrained them and they became a repetitive voice in your head. 
That's why when people talk about hearing voices like I have in the past and like I do sometimes even now, uh, we talk about hearing some of the most hurtful things ever said to us by people who are in positions of power who abuse those positions. Um, I think that uh, one of the things people don't get is that everything that's ever been said or done to you, every every instance you've experienced, good or bad or ugly, um, is, is back brain. It, it, it's stored in a memory in your brain. And if it's hateful, spiteful, aggressive, angry, violent, mean, negative, hurtful, uh, you're going to internalize it as a child. It's going to become your inner critical voice. But you can defeat and overcome the inner critical voice by replacing it with a powerful, more accurate voice. I, like Dr. Daniel Amen, don't believe in positive thinking. I used to. I don't believe in positive affirmations or thinking. I believe in accurate thinking. And this came directly from Dr. Amen in his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. It's about setting up moments in your life to say, okay, what can I become? How far can I go? How successful can I be? And then planting those seeds and then one by one achieving them. And this doesn't mean you have to be monetarily successful. This means you can be life skill successful. You can go forth and pave a path to give yourself good, positive, hopeful, meaningful, kind, compassionate, generous self-talk, and you can literally change the way you view yourself. And by osmosis, because you've, you're attracting better, you change the way people around you see you. I'm very curious about how that sort of sticks with us and gets internalized over time because sometimes those early days where you're very tough on yourself and very hard on yourself, that's the that almost gets imprinted like DNA and that takes a bit of unwiring. It, it doesn't almost get imprinted. It literally gets imprinted. Yeah, yeah. It literally yeah. gets imprinted <laughs> in your brain and the rest of your body follows because you have a symbiotic physiological connection from the body and the gut to the brain. What you, like obviously, so first and foremost, there's, there's the book that you've released and I want to spend some time talking about that, the one that got released in September. Um, you know, also you speak about your time, you know, when you had uh, jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge, but I know that your story is more than that. Uh, there's a lot There's a lot more and many other facets to your story as well. And I think what I want to understand is those listening in that want to understand the smaller Kevin Hines, the Kevin Hines growing up as a kid. And, you know, I know there was an event that happened uh, for you when you were around the age of 17 that sort of shifted a few cogs and and changed the trajectory of where you were heading. But, you know, first and foremost, you know, what were the earliest of years like for you growing up? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 And I appreciate you wanting to talk about that. Not everyone does. Uh, people like to focus on the bright, shiny thing, which is the Golden Gate Bridge and the attempt off it. Um, but there's so much more to me. I was, you know, I was. I had 16 years before I ever was diagnosed with bipolar depression at 17 and a half, and I'm so much more than that one day leaping off the Golden Gate Bridge. So I appreciate that. Um, I was born in abject poverty lived in and out of crack motels, birthed parents after they had me and my brother on drugs and alcohol. They didn't succumb to drugs and alcohol until after they had us. Um, and, and they were negligent parents. It wasn't because they didn't love us that, that they neglected us. They were trying to keep us safe from the outside world. 
and the only way they knew how was to do score or sell drugs. That was our life. That was our life. And uh, they, they wanted to take care of us. But they didn't have the means. They didn't have the help. They didn't have treatment centers. They didn't have care. Um, and, and two people who have just brought two children into the world who don't know how to fend for themselves cannot fend for their child, their children. And my brother and I uh, were taken away from our birth parents, placed in a foster care where he died. Uh, we both got bronchitis, same disease, he died. I was a survivor from the very beginning of my life. And, and I bounced around from home to home, probably, probably taken away from my birth mom five to 10 times total before I was ad- taken and adopted. Um, they say that, well, there's studies that have been done on chimpanzees that are removed from their birth mother or their mother rather, uh, from, from birth, they have akin to brain damage. And, and, and I don't think the general population of America, the world, Australia, everywhere else, I don't think we understand that what is imprinted on an infant from birth and how important the nuclear family is to the child um, and how crucial it is to have a stable base of living well so your body and your brain can develop properly. Um, if I have a kid to brain damage from birth, how do you think yeah. the rest of my life is going to go? Yeah. Right? Uh, I scored a six on the ACE exams, adverse childhood experiences for that neglect. Um, but like I said, they didn't do that because they didn't love us. They did what they did because they were trying to keep a roof over our heads. Um, and and uh, I, I, unlike my poor brother, Jordash, may he rest in peace, I got very, very lucky. I landed in the home of Patrick and Deborah Hines, and they saved my life. First, I landed in the home of Peter and Deborah Muller. Uh, the Mullers were an incredible family, the first family to properly take care of me and not neglect me. They were incredible. But they were transitionally couldn't stay there. So Debbie Hines walked into their home looking to take home a little girl to be the sister of Elizabeth Catherine, the girl that she and Patrick Kevin Hines had already taken in, my eventual namesake. And instead she saw me. And as she says in her journal of those days, that was the moment she fell in love. And that this is the beginning of a love story between me and the Hines family uh, that is unending. Um, they saved my life. They gave me hope. They are my mom and dad. Um, and what a gift it was. Do they have flaws? So does everybody. No big deal. And, um, and growing up in the Heinz home, I really thought to myself, I've got this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow up and I'll get in that great school. I'll get that great job, you know, because I've been given with so many young Americans that people in the world don't get to have opportunity and a chance. I got an opportunity and a chance, unlike my brother, Jordash, who had no opportunity or chance at all. He's gone. He's gone. Rest in peace, Jordash. But uh, at 17, my whole world came crashing down. I had what can be best described back then as a complete and total mental breakdown in front of 1,200 people. Um, 
at a theater show. I was performing and I was one of the leads in the show. And I lost my mind. And I didn't get it back for the better part of 20 years. I got parts of it back sometimes. I got well sometimes. But right back into psych courts, right back into suicidal ideation, right back into struggle. Um, And the disease bipolar depression that I've been diagnosed with three times by three separate doctors is the same brain disease that turned out both my birth parents and records show were diagnosed with when they called it manic depression in their day. So I was by definition genetically predisposed to it twice. And when I see these influencers sit around and talk about how depression is all in your mind and it doesn't exist and anxiety isn't real. Um, And I see them pontificating to the youth of this country and the globe that they just need to hit the gym and work it out. They just need to pray it away. It'll disappear. I work out and I pray. It doesn't change the chemistry of my brain wholeheartedly from bipolar to non-bipolar. It does change the chemistry of my brain. It affects my brain. It helps my brain, both praying and working out. Both do those things scientifically. They help the brain, absolutely. But they do not remove a brain disease. And for people to so callously say it's all bullshit um, is unfair to those who struggle. And I will also be clear, there, are, there is way too much diagnosing going on in America. And there's far too many pharmaceuticals being used to solve problems that maybe Mother Nature could heal. I recognize that. I recognize that. But I'm a person that when I am off my medication, I have visual and auditory hallucinations that render me motionless incapable of action and in some places helpless and that's not my fault and that won't go away no matter how often I hit the gym we have to be responsible in what we say to people who are so young and so um, influenced easily influencer is the right word so easily influenced by people who say just go pray it away or just work it out yeah yeah, and what what you what you've just mentioned is often a a common a common response, especially within South Asian or Southeast Asian households. Of course, you know, coming from an Indian background, that's often the the biggest thing, and obviously that's well documented. I think many kids, first gen, second gen, always talk about that that there's <laughs> that there's there's often this response that comes, and I think part of that uh, I hope we're we're shifting the cogs, but I still feel like yeah. there's a long way to go. And it doesn't necessarily come from uh, a, a, a hateful or angry place. It comes from an ignorance. It comes from misunderstanding. It comes from lack of education. Sometimes it comes from arrogance or all of the above. Um, but those individuals haven't done the due diligence to understand the science behind the brain. And I think it's unfair to just blanketly say those things without doing the actual research and understanding the studies behind it and that it's a long-studied issue um, and, and that we only we only know a, a, a fraction of what the brain what's going on in the brain, you know. Um, 
we only understand it to a certain point. So, I, I want to ask. Uh, there's, <laughs> I have a, I have a lot of questions going through my mind. One is obviously what were some of the fondest memories you had growing up with the Heinz? But um, you know, I, I I would like to ask that because you know when I think of my childhood, there's you know two or three core distinct memories that are really like imprinted in my mind and I think it brings me a smile thinking about it you know one of them is yeah. feeding I think um, pigeons or pelicans uh, at a beach with dad uh, so, so breaking up some of the crumbs and I was maybe like five six years old and it was by the beach and I don't have many memories of my dad but that is definitely one that really sticks with me um, well I've got, I've got one for you um, and it's it's very specific um and you can probably tell by looking at my office here what it's going to entail. Um, so so uh, my dad uh, is incredible. And Patrick Kevin Hines would make all of our Halloween costumes. And my mom yeah. would, would help make them too. And she was, she was a craftsman, craftswoman with, with what she did um, with, with my brothers uh, and, and my own co- uh, costumes on Halloween. But in particular, there were several, several years where I wanted to be Spider-Man. Yeah. And, and so my, my dad did the most incredible Spider-Man face mask you can possibly imagine. And we, I'm sure we've got old video footage somewhere. I don't know where it is, but hopefully I'll find it someday. Um, uh, and I, I, obviously, I would wear my Spider-Man pajamas and then have the Spider-Man, ma- and the Spider-Man face paint that he would do. And he, he really, he really, you know... I don't think he would call himself an artist. He was a 49-year banker in San Francisco, uh, but he was, he was an artist to me. Um, and, and, uh, and it was one of the fondest memories because uh, superheroes and, and, and comic books have always been a big part of my life. Um, back when I used to have the He-Man comic books straight from the action, action uh, figure boxes and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, I've collected for 20 years, and the hero's journey is really something I... Um, I attribute to my own story of going from being the victim of, of my own struggle and suffering in my own struggle from denouncing victimhood and struggling to accepting uh, becoming the hero of my own journey. Uh, because one thing I like to point out to people is that pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. It's coming for all of us if it hasn't already. But suffering can be optional, a choice. So when I define that, um, when, I, when I break that down, I'm not talking about people who are suffering in war-torn countries, literally. I'm not talking about people who are suffering with abuse and neglect at home or in their, or in their daily lives in, in, in domestic abuse of some kind. I'm talking about the individual like me who maybe has a diagnosed brain health disorder, brain health crisis, and they have a choice to make. They can either sit quietly and suffer in silence, in their pain every day, or they can get up and do something about their pain. They can fight their pain in spite of their pain, despite their pain to thrive someday. And that's what I chose to do with my struggle is that I was that guy that every doctor told me I was suffering from bipolar, suffering from mental illness, suffering from depression, suffering from eating disorders when I was. And I was big time as a high school wrestler, which is just part of the culture. So you can choose to be the aggressor against your pain. 
to then hold gratitude inside your pain so you can thrive despite of your pain. Or you can choose to allow your pain to defeat you. There are so many examples of people all around the world, well-known names, who have gone through tremendous, horrific adversity in their lives, but have found success on the other side. One person I'm, I think of uh, very fondly, uh, two people actually, um, Tyler Perry and The Rock. Tyler Perry, homeless, struggling with life, severely abused, thriving. The Rock lived in poverty, struggled in the depths of despair, of depression, thriving. And I'm not saying any of us can go be Tyler Perry or The Rock. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have an opportunity to perceive your situation differently if you so choose. You have an opportunity to change your perception, to change your perspective, to shift your reality. If you choose to sit in pity of yourself, believing that you are a victim and a sufferer, even if you've been victimized or suffered, that is all you will ever be. If you make a choice to be greater than that, then that's what you'll be. And I made a choice a long time ago, 23 years ago, in fact, to share my story. And I don't wish what happened to me on anyone. What happened to my family because of what I did, jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, the people's lives I nearly destroyed, that saw me physically jump off the bridge, that were on that bridge that day, that they were that lived with, that lived with PTSD from what I did, the Coast Guard officers who had to save me and now live with severe trauma because of it. I don't wish what I did on anybody. But I will say this, if I could go back and change things, I would not. Because my journey has made me who I am today. That said, to be very crystal clear, don't learn the hard way like I did. Instead, do two things every time you become suicidal. Two things that will absolutely 100% keep you safe from suicide. Number one. Find a mirror, any mirror, anywhere. Look in that mirror and say, my thoughts do not have to become my actions. They can simply be my thoughts. My thoughts don't have to own, rule, and define what I do next if they're hateful, rageful, aggressive, or self-violent. The second thing you need to do is turn to anyone willing to listen to you and say four simple but very effective words. I need help now. And the difference between me and people who attempt and die by suicide is that for 23 years living with chronic thoughts of suicide, thousands of thoughts of suicide, thousands upon thousands of thoughts of suicide in 23 years, I've never, ever, ever attempted again because I don't stop asking for help until someone gives it to me. That means that by the sheer probability of the number of people I speak to, someone has always been willing to answer the call. No one is coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. We have to become our own best advocate and not wait for Superman. 
He's not coming. For those for those listening in, that perhaps I, I'm I'm aware that some people may not fully be familiar of uh, your complete story, and I want to ask just you know that day that you did go to the Golden Gate Bridge, and you were you know of course you're having those thoughts that were going through your mind, and uh, you're perhaps stuck in that feeling and, and felt as if you you had explored and exhausted all your options, but. The planning, the thinking, the research, the days leading up to it. What was that like for you? It was the worst torment I'd ever been under. And it was, it was from myself. Yeah. The voices I was hearing telling me I had to die. The auditory and visual hallucinations I was having. The flights in mania followed by crashes and depression. They were the worst days of my life. The survival was the best moment of my life. A sea lion kept me afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. You can't write that. This miracle happened. God saved my life that day. I firmly believe God saved my life that day. Where no human could help me that day, a sea lion decided to nudge me to the surface and circle beneath me to keep me afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. What would you call that besides a miracle? I have a firm belief in God. I'm not going to push that on your listeners and viewers. That's my belief. That's my prerogative. I will say this, though. Far too many things that day happened to keep me alive. From the woman calling her friend in the Coast Guard, having the Coast Guard, be man- her friend, be manning the-, the waters of the bridge at that moment. From the sea lion that kept me afloat. From one of the foremost back surgeons in the world performing the first ever surgery of its kind on me and saving me the ability to stand, walk, and run. I believe that God put his hand underneath me as I fell and made sure I would be safe. Now, there are a lot of people that would look at that and they'd go, well, Kevin, why didn't God save this person? Why didn't God save that person? Why did God pick you? He didn't pick me. God's walking with us, rather carrying us all of our lives. It just depends on if we're willing to see him. Kev, like in your story, I remember you talking about that morning when you had gone to your dad and I think he was sleeping and um, I think you had you wanted to say a few words to him and then also the bus ride. What what was that like for you if you could describe some of those events of that morning and, and that bus ride? I lied to my father. My father was worried about me that morning. He wanted to help me. But I pretended that I was fine because I just wanted the pain to end. Let me make it abundantly clear, my new friends. Suicide doesn't take the pain away. It makes it utterly and physically impossible for things to ever get better. Put in the time, effort, hard work, and energy to find hope 
so things can change. People tell me hope is not an action plan. It's not feasible. It's not palpable. It is, if you believe in it. Hope is around every corner. You just haven't walked far enough to reach it. I, instead of walking to the Golden Gate Bridge, getting on that bus and then walking on the bridge, instead of doing that, I should have begged and pleaded my father to help keep me safe that day. That man, my mother, Deborah, my brother, my sister, my family, my friends, would have moved heaven and earth to keep me safe for myself that day, had they known where I was and what I was doing. Heaven and earth. And there are people that will do that for you. I'm worried that, you know, statistically speaking, in many ways that someone I know or someone that they know or, you know, someone that they know as well, like, you know, somewhere in that influence over the next 10, 20 years, there is some pain there. And all, all, I, all I can do and all I want to do is to try and share as many stories as possible. Of yeah. course, like my philosophy, people say, you know, why are you doing podcasts? It's such, and there's so many other podcasts that exist out there. Um, my, my response is always more or less, if I can continue pushing out more content on platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook or wherever people get their content from, yeah. the more people see this content, and I, I feel like the more positivity that you push out in the world, yeah. you just hope that that continues to be seen on that platform for them. And that shifts subconsciously a few things in their own mind that, you know, it also, you know, lives, on, it also yeah. lives on forever. Yeah. yeah it lives correct. on on that platform or those platforms forever for more people to find. Uh, and for someone to, who is going through that kind of pain, someone who loves someone who's going to have that kind of pain to say, hey, you know, have you seen this episode of the Bottled Up Podcast? Uh, and then and they, they get it and they watch it and maybe maybe it makes a difference. Yeah. Maybe it's the catalyst to a change in their lives. Uh, yeah. I've been doing this work for 23 years and we've been making media for 23 years before social media was even cool. And I can tell you that in 23 years of doing this work, not just this, but speaking... 300 times a year, hundreds of thousands of people have told me this story saved their life from a podcast, from a viral video, from a, an article online, from a magazine, from a newspaper, in person. If you put in the work to do good in this world, the work you put in, will come out to people who are in pain, who need to see that light at the end of the tunnel, so they too know that hope exists for them. It's not about me, it's not about my story. There are thousands upon thousands, millions of stories. It's not about me. I'm a conduit. I give a message, I know where the message comes from. That's where it comes from me. I'm a conduit, I give a message, people go home, they do the work, they're saving and changing their own lives. They're just giving me credit. I want people to start giving themselves credit. You went home and you talked to mom and dad and said, mom and dad, I need to go to therapy. You went to your counselor at school and said, hey, I, I, I saw this thing. And I, 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 I don't want any regret. I don't want to have instant regret like Kevin Hines had. 
which is one of the common things people tell me is that when I leapt off the Golden Gate Bridge and the millisecond my hands left the rail and my legs cleared it, instantaneous regret for my actions and the 100% recognition, I just made the greatest mistake of my life and it was too late. That instant regret line, that was not a line, it was just what I said in the film The Bridge in 2006 when it came out, has been the catalyst to keeping hundreds of thousands of people here. That's undeniable. That's palpable. That's visceral. That's powerful. But it's not about me. Everybody has a story. So brother, Sonny, you tell your stories on this platform and don't let anybody tell you it's not worth it. And no matter how big or small your podcast is now or if it's big, large or small, you're going to grow it and then people are going to go back to that episode and find hope in it. Keep it up. Keep it up because it's going to change lives. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, man. And and I think for me the and, and Mank as well, like the, the podcast is here to stay and you know, we can choose how frequently we want to post, weekly, monthly, bi-weekly, whatever it might be, but that podcast is here to stay because how great would it be just to continue sharing those stories over time consistently and sticking yeah. at that and in, like this this all the stories you come across and are able to yeah. share because I, I often feel like access and opportunity is normally distributed. You know, the access that you have to certain forms of media and content is very different to what I observe and all you can do is put out more and hope that that there's a convergence somewhere. Yeah. I, I want to ask, Kev, um, you know, often often there's a little bit of resistance around asking, are you okay? Yeah. And, you know, you've spoken about this around perhaps there's the fear of, of what gets said on the other end. And yeah. I'm also aware of, like, how that plays out in my own life where people ask, um, you know, how are you doing? It often gets shared just, you know, nonchalantly and, I'm trying to do a better job of obviously not just saying great all the time because I think that sometimes dilutes it. And if the space is right, if the relationship is good with the person on the other end, just saying, oh, you know, it's going okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, how do you, yeah, what do you think about the question, are you okay? Yeah, I think, I think it's more, you know, in Australia, you got to go, how you going? How you going? Yeah. <laughs> and and I, think that, I think that you got to go, you got to stop when they say, I'm fine. And you got to, no, no, no. How are you really going? How are you really doing? And don't bullshit me with your answer. I want to know the truth. I came for the meat and the bones. I want to know what you need from me in this moment to hear you. Or do you need me to hear you at all? Because a lot of people I know feel unheard and unseen. And, you know, I, I think that um, I, I think that it's all too easy to say how you doing, how you going, and get that I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm good answer and walk away. Don't walk away. Say, look, I have a vested interest in how you're really doing. I genuinely care about you. I'm here in this moment to hear what you have to say and be quiet and then listen to understand not to respond make it an intuitive listening moment and if they're still apprehensive 
Tell them. What's the worst that could happen? I could help you, you know, right? I could be a shoulder to lean on. And I know in Straya we have all these issues with, with men and women uh, silencing their pain because of just the history of the culture. Knuckle up. And there's a, a taught lesson there that no matter how much pain you're in, you shove it down and you bury it. I am telling you, Australians, unsilence your pain. It is the greatest freedom you will ever have to unsilence your pain. When you silence your pain, when you bury your struggles, they only bubble and fester and grow until they burst in things like rage, aggression, violence, substance use disorder, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts, ideals or actions, domestic disputes. Unburden yourself. Tell the truth about your pain to one person willing to empathize because a pain shared is a pain halved. Don't let anybody tell you different. You bottle it up, it's going to destroy you or someone near you. Don't do it. Tell the truth. And, and Kev, like, for those that are navigating conversations with people that are suicidal and, and thinking about that, yeah. what advice do you have for someone that's sort of on the other end, perhaps trying to help someone out that isn't, you know, quote unquote, willing to receive help. Cause I think there is always yeah. some sort of yeah, internal, yeah. there's an internal need to get help. I think there's yeah. obviously just the stigma and the complexity that exists, but how do you navigate that? Yeah. There's a great uh, conversation we had there about the caring letters. Caring letters were created uh, here in America by Dr. Jerry Motto of the former San Francisco VA system. And Dr. Jerry Motto and his wife created the caring letters for his patients in his psych ward. He was seeing in the veterans hospital and the patients that I got out who, who were given caring letters, how you doing? What do you need? We're here for you. We love you. We care about you. You're valued. You have meaning. You have purpose. That's what the letter said. Those individuals didn't die by suicide after their attempt. And those individuals didn't keep going back into the psych ward. Every week they get a caring letter. They knew they had meaning. They knew they had purpose. When we show people how much we value them, suicidal ideations can be reversed. And that's key. It's key. So what that could mean today, since I was started in the 70s, what that can mean today is finding three to five people in your family network, friend network, peer network, colleague network, having them all write a separate carrying letter to the individual giving the person three to five letters from three to five different people mailed to them like a gift, like a yeah. gift card. So it's special and they open it and it's handwritten. None of this typed up stuff, legibly written yeah. about how important they are to you, how much they mean to you, how valued they are. You're going to change their life. Yeah. Caring letters, reduction of access to lethal means, and lifelines and crisis text lines save lives from suicide. They're the only empirically studied ways to do so. You know, Kev, yeah, you've, you've got the book that's just recently come out uh, in, the last, in the last, I think, in September. I'm wondering, what was that process like for you in writing that book, documenting your thoughts and processing a lot of what had happened? And 
yeah, keen to hear where people can find it as well. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a, it's called the art of being broken, how storytelling saves lives. Um, and it, it really is, uh, the, 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 the title, uh, is on purpose. Um, it's about becoming unbroken, which will be the third book in the broken series. But th- this is a book that I wrote with seven contributing authors, uh, three of them from Straya, by the way. Um, shout out to Pat Lawson, Jazz Rollinson, and Joe Williams. This book is near and dear to my heart because it's everything that happened after the last book ended, Crack Not Broken, in 2013 till now. It's a look at um, every single one of the contributing authors leaves in it their tools for wellness after triumphing over incredible adversity and continuing to do so. It really is a special book and people are saying that it's saving their lives. People are saying that it's changing their lives forever. People are saying that they're following the tools in it and they're, they're bettering their lives. So th- that was the goal. We, we've, we've achieved our goal. Um, and it can be found at kevinhindstory.com shop along with all of our merch and hoodies and t-shirts and things like that that have incredibly powerful messages on them that's, that are definite conversation starters. Before, before we finish up, I, I want to ask one question, which is, what's your dream? You know, we, we have so much more to live uh, in this lifetime. And I know you've been instrumental in uh, being behind the nets that are at, you know, with, in, at the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, but what's up ahead for you? Like, what, what world do you want to um, create and sort of leave behind when our time is done here? I think if I, if I were to hope for a legacy, it would be of one of helping people around the world give themselves more grace. Whatever mistakes you've made, whatever follies, whatever missteps, whoever you've hurt, if you've hurt yourself, you can change now so change do better be better and be kinder to yourself it'll go a long way you'll thrive you'll thrive And that's a wrap for this episode. If you are enjoying our conversations, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All the conversations are recorded in video, so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at BottledUpOz. Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family and see you next time.